Card presents Back Issue Bloodpath with your hosts, Andrew Young and Petula Neal. Welcome, friends, once again to that place we call the con. Welcome to Back Issue Bloodpath. I'm Andrew Young. I'm Petula Neal. And this week we are playing the first of our comic creator interviews that we recorded at Toronto Comic Con, March 17th to 19th. Myself and Petula were there. Petula, this was your first time around large groups of people for like almost four years. It was very intense. However, love the placement of Artist Alley. It was one of the few areas where you had literal and figurative breathing room. It's like fight your way through this seething mass of nerddom. And then it's just a bunch of nerds sitting at their tables and like the walkways were nice and wide back there. And it was end of the show kind of from a physical POV. So it was a great place to visit frequently, which we did. Yes, we did. We spent a lot of time there, talked to a lot of creators, and you're going to get to hear a few of those conversations this week. It is with editor Allison O'Toole. And that was someone that uh, we actually were both very excited to talk to. I had to refrain from asking all of my editor questions, like dumb grammar rules that she likes to break. Have you ever tried to work an Oxford comma into like a a Zoom pal bubble? (laughs) So, I mean, we got some good. I think it's the first time we've had a creator use the word onomatopoeia when we've been working together. Yeah. Yeah. So we got to hear that. And it's a fun conversation. We hope you enjoy it. Of course, Alison O'Toole, an editor for a number of Chip Zdarsky's creator-owned books, including Newburn, The All-Nighter, Afterlift, Public Domain. And recently she was the editor on Fred Kennedy's new series, Dead Romans, which uh, the first issue dropped this past month from Image Comics. We talk a little bit about that, and we talk a little bit about editing anthologies, like the more recent Shades of Fear, which she was one of the editors for. So let's take a listen to that interview right now. So we're here at Toronto Comic Con, Artist Alley. We've been talking to some creators. And, you know, it's not just writers and artists and colorists and inkers that make a comic great. It's also good editors. And so here today we have a great editor, Alison O'Toole, with us. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Well, thank you for talking with us. Before we get into everything, I just, uh, I know that you love bad exorcism movies. What is it about exorcism movies gone bad that you love? Um, I mean, I love I love a good exorcism movie as well, but I'm a big fan. I love horror, but I also love pageantry. Ah. And I feel like just the aesthetics of Catholicism, you're always going to get a lot of really Baroque, dramatic imagery. You're going to get a lot of camp overacting, a lot of um, sort of purple prose, which I love. I feel like exorcism movies are always, everything's kind of dialed up to 11, you know? Yeah. Uh, and I, there's just something about that that's so fun and schlocky to me to watch. So, Of course, uh, you've worked uh, with a lot of creators on creator-owned titles. One that's coming up is Dead Romans by by Fred Kennedy and Nick uh, Marinkovic. Now, I know that it wasn't just, you know, because you're an editor that is there, you're hands-on, you're helpful, Mm -hmm. you're involved in the process. I know with this particular process, uh, you talked a lot with Fred about um, basically the actual relationship that's the crux of the story and how, you know, making sure that the love stories show that the woman had her agency and 
wasn't seen as a prize. So what was it like going through those conversations with him? Fred was fantastic because um, anybody who's spoken to Fred Kennedy before knows how passionate he is about history and about this time in history. And so I never had any concerns about the veracity of the facts or of the ways that the Roman legions would be organized or the kinds of helmets they'd be wearing. But Fred really wanted to make sure that the humanity was the key to this story, that it wasn't just fighting and swords and blood. He wanted it to be have a really human soul. And the story ultimately is a clash of the viewpoints of Arminius, who was enslaved by the Romans, and who then leads the German army in an attack against the Romans. And it's based on a true story. It's the worst defeat that the Romans ever faced, really. And they never went back into Germania after that. So Fred invented a love interest for him. Her name is Honoria. And... She is also enslaved and working for the general that Arminius uh, had been working for in Rome. And she is loyal to Rome. She's been close with this general. She's grown up in the system and she's still loyal to it. And so her ideals versus Arminius' ideals where he's loyal to his birthplace, uh, that becomes really important. And that was really, that clash was really important to Fred. And Arminius spends a lot of the story looking for his lover because he wants to make sure she isn't killed accidentally by his own troops. And so it would be very easy for her to be, you know, the same as the tribute that she's carrying, as some silver, this prize that he wants to win and that he wants to recover. But it was really important to Fred that she be a person as well. And so that was a lot of our early conversations was we want her to be cool, but not this sort of like cool girl archetype where her personality is fights, you know? That's, I think, really common in um, genre pop culture these days. So we wanted to make sure she had a clear viewpoint, clear goals, and uh, ideals and outlooks and that kind of thing. So we talked a lot about like what she wants from her life, what would her future look like ideally, and how is that reflected in her actions and that kind of thing, and her relationships with other people and that sort of thing. So hopefully people will find that this comic that comes out balances really well their love story with all of the the grit and the grime and the violence which of course we wanted to include because that stuff is very cool and fun so hopefully we have both well back to the grit and the grime and the violence and not just because of your earrings i was wondering some of your favorite sounds that either a writer has suggested or you've suggested for um, weapons penetrating a body or fluids leaving a body because i feel like Sounds can really become iconic. Uh, we all know Absolutely. sort of the Wolverine snick. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the work you've worked on has just some great, like, consonant work. I do a lot of onomatopoeia alone in my apartment when I'm thinking about that kind of thing. Going like, okay, so it would be like a thunt or more of a thund. You know, like those sorts of things. Um, But yeah, I think sounds, especially in um, genres where you're getting a lot of that really visceral violence, I think because the medium doesn't allow actual sound, the SFX can be a really effective way to um, evoke a really visceral response, right? So Fred is amazing at that, actually, and has like really strong feelings. So in Dead Romans, that's all him. But in a lot of books, I will sit there and sort of think about what it sounds like and try to make the sound with my mouth and mm. then decide what letters to apply to that. there you go well, that's that's a cool journey that's that's got to yeah. be fun to find new 
pairs of consonants to make the sound that you're looking for. Yeah, some sounds aren't that common in English, like a zh sound to try yeah. to figure out how to best communicate that, those sorts of things. Uh, yeah, it's a challenge, and sometimes you've got to kind of throw a few things on the page and see what works. No, totally, yeah. Now, you've worked with a number of creators on their individual projects, but of course you've also worked on anthologies, the most recent Shades of Fear, or anthology that plays with color. Now, when it came to picking the creators for it, was there ability to work with color involved in that? Yes. So my collaborator and I, Ashanti Fortson, um, for that book, instead of opening for submissions, which I'd done with anthologies in the past, we'd had sort of an open call. With this one, we, were, we curated it. So we had kind of a long list of people whose color work we thought was strong, but also a mix of people who we thought would be playful with color in horror genres or where we'd seen in other genres. So someone who's very strong at color in maybe a slice of life context or something else, we thought it'd be really interesting to see what some of those people brought to horror. But yes, they're the different artists' use of color and thoughtfulness about color was a really big part of how we chose who to include. And was it like a deliberate decision to just work with cartoonists as opposed to yes. possible teams? Yes, absolutely. Writers can have ideas about color palettes, these kinds of things. But because it was so central to the concept of this book, we wanted to make sure that people were coming up with and executing their own visions. So we wanted people who would be with the stories from beginning to end so that they would have a really singular, cohesive vision that would be executed exactly as they had originally thought of it and wasn't collaborative in the way that it would be with a team. We wanted it to be a very like singular individual's vision. I'm a project manager in my day life and trying to explain my job to people. I've said it's making lists and telling people what to do. What element would you add to that short description to sort of explain how project management's different for working in the comic arts? I think there's a lot of uh, to be blunt therapy involved uh, when you're working with creators who are making art you get these extra things that you don't get in project management and other areas where people feel creative blocks or they're not satisfied with the perfect way the line has been represented on the page. So I think a lot of times um, people just, they, they put a lot of their, their soul and their emotion into their work. And so if they're not happy with it, that can be really challenging. So I spend a lot of my time with creators just working through those, those issues. And sometimes it's reassurance, sometimes it's just a little more work developing, but I have to really get to know each individual that I'm working with to see how best to handle moments where they're feeling a little less confident because that's a that ends up being a really big part of the job as a project manager being tied to or the advocate for the schedule have you found moments where a artist or a creator has said if we do it this way I'll have to redo a bunch of work but even you agree oh my god that would be so much better how do you sort of work through the process of realigning maybe timelines when those issues come up? It would depend on the project because some books have uh, tighter, less movable deadlines than others. If it's something self-published, for example, if I know that our backers will have to wait maybe an extra week or something like that for work, then it's not the end of the world. Whereas if something needs to get to print in order to make it into the catalog, in order to like, it could be losing a lot of people, a lot of money. It's a little bit more difficult to make those changes. So in that sort of situation, as much as I might say, oh, it would be better. 
I might say, okay, where's a middle point where we can make some of the changes to evoke what you're trying to do, but within a less time intensive way, whether that's you making smaller changes, us bringing on someone else to help make the changes, whatever that is. But yeah, I think um, there are different uh, rules and consequences for making those choices. So I have to kind of weigh everything and then figure out what the best way forward is. Of course, on your website, there's testimonials from people you've worked with uh, about the jobs you've done. But I think the most you know, to the point and direct and actually, in a way, a glowing review is from Chip Zdarsky. Allison forces me to write scripts on time, so she's not the best. <laughs> and, uh, you know, with someone like Chip, you know, you, of course, you've worked Newburn, Public Domain, Afterlift, The All-Nighter. You worked a lot of projects with him, but he's also, of course got other projects on the go he works for marvel he works for dc he works for other projects outside of comics as well and he's also the type of person who's like hey i got this crazy idea i'm gonna go do this what is the relationship between you and chip on keeping him on time so chip is actually a dream to work with we got along well early on i think because we both have that kind of self-deprecating sense of humor a little bit uh that you can see in that quote um But one of the things I love about him is he's so creative and thoughtful and intelligent as a creator, but he also really understands that this is a business. And as much as I would love for all comics to be just an outpouring of the soul, they do have to have timelines. They do have to come out. (laughs) Uh, And it's my job to make sure that that stuff happens. And Chip very much understands that like sometimes it's going to suck and you might not be happy with the as it's coming out of your mouth but you just have to get it down usually you can then go back and make it perfect or you can trust your collaborators to bring things to it that will make it better but he really really understands that you have to put your nose to the grindstone sometimes and just get things done and he's not precious about changes either so if he has done that and has say named two characters the same thing in a script then he's totally happy to change it let me change it those sorts of things but yeah he's just an incredible writer and an incredible collaborator but he's very willing to get things done to understand what other people need from him in order to do their jobs and he wants to give everyone else on his team as much time and space uh, as possible to do their best work. And so, yeah, he's he's been fantastic to work with. One of my favorite titles that I started reading, I think pretty early in lockdown, was Afterlift. And I just stumbled across it on the site I dare not name. And it, then, you know, I saw Chip's name on it. I hadn't read a lot of Jason's work. Paris, I started following on Insta after that and mm-hmm. love their, you know, annual Black History Month, like, mashup yeah. that they do with other creators. And you, like, this is a real dream team. Yes. So I just wanted to know how you ended up on that project and a little bit of maybe what was most fun about working with that group of folks. That team is absolutely a dream team. And, uh, because it went Afterlift was such smooth sailing, we ended up doing another much longer series together. So Jason interned for Chip when he was like just starting at Raid. And so the two of them knew each other. Chip was watching Jason doing The Pitiful Human Lizard, a Toronto-based superhero comic, and really wanted them to work together on something. And so Chip approached Jason with this concept, with this Afterlift uh, or drive-sharing gone to hell concept. Yeah. And uh, I think it was Jason that brought me on, but I think they um, Chip was starting to 
do way too many books at once, and so I think he knew they needed a project manager. Uh, and I'd been working with Jason for years, both uh, in comics, and uh, we'd also been doing some charity stuff together. We'd been friends for a long time. We knew we worked well together. So Chip brought me on there. Jason might have brought Paris on as well because they'd been friends for a long time. Uh, and then Aditya Bidikar, um was someone Chip had been working on with in, on other books, our letterer. And so the team was kind of put together by Chip. But as I say, we worked so well together and it, the book was so easy for everyone that Chip and I decided to keep working together. He just needed someone to manage his creator-owned stuff so he could focus on writing, and I do all the other stuff to make sure that the books come out on time. Uh, and yeah, it's, it's been a really fruitful collaboration, and I, I love working with that team. Yeah, and is it, so yeah, so you originally got into comics because Jason needed an editor for The Pitiful Human Lizard, yes. right? And it was your take on storytelling in your reviews and stuff is what it was like, oh, my friend knows what she's doing here. I'm bringing on an editor. Before that, did you ever have a thought that maybe I want to get into comics editing? Honestly, no. When Jason asked me to work on Human Lizard, I was kind of figuring out what I wanted to do because I, I love the medium, but it hadn't really occurred to me to work in it. And so I was sort of on the other side, on the review, on the fan side, because I loved interacting with this stuff and talking about storytelling but as soon as Jason suggested that I edit and I started to look more into what the job of an editor does, because I think a lot of people don't realize that it's the project management, you know what I mean? Like they think it is just the developmental side, which I also loved, but it just, um, I didn't know what the path would be to get there. But then I realized there's all this project management you need to do, which I was doing as an administrator by day anyway. So it actually seemed to suit my skill sets really well once I realized what the job entailed. So from there, I started telling people I wanted more work. I was really lucky that Stephen Andrews was looking for uh, some editorial support on the Toronto Comics anthologies. So I learned so much doing those. And uh, from there, I was just able to b build a portfolio and meet people that I wanted to work with. And uh, I got really lucky that there was so much opportunity in Toronto at that time. <laughs> That's a crazy thing about, like, a lot of people don't realize, like, everybody talks about Portland, Oregon being, like, the place where comic creators are and everything, but Toronto is, like, just as big as a hub for yep. creators in the industry. Yeah, absolutely. We've got a really thriving scene here, both on, you know, the sort of mainstream direct market area, but also in self-publishing. We've got the Canadian Comics Open Library here now. I think in, uh, there's also academics um, that are starting to try to bring comics into curriculums more um, thoroughly, I guess. There's just a lot of uh, interest in the medium in Toronto. We've got a really vibrant scene here. So again, I just feel really lucky that I happen to be here at the right time. So I have some friends that work in film, and they've talked about how the producer job is also a lot of project management. And with your work in comics, which of the titles that you've worked on would you most like to, if you could wave a magic wand, be a producer on a live action or film version? Ooh, that's a good question. I know my partner here would want Newburn for sure. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I think... Like, Dead Romans, I think, has a lot of potential to become a kind of, uh, like, a prestige miniseries one day, uh, if they had a lot of money. The thing is, with a lot of them, like, you know, as much, like, Afterlift was a great story, but I think a lot of the imagery would be hard. You'd have to have a really high effects budget, and it, if you didn't, it would look bad. Mm. But I think 
human lizard could do really well as a comedy serial kind of thing but i also think yeah i think newborn would be really effective because you all you need is some decent directors who know how to light things without having to use garbage color grading and a handful of uh like just a couple really solid actors to anchor it i think it could work really well i'm going to say my dream collabo would be you producing with the daniels and doing afterlift because of what they've talked about in a lot of their interviews about tricks to make the effects cheaper, like the confetti explosions and other things. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I think with with an approach like theirs, I think it would be amazing. But you look at like 90%. Maybe I shouldn't be coming down on genre TV, but you just look at so much of it, and it's done by a whole bunch of completely overworked underpaid effects people um, and that's not what I would want to be a part of but you're right if it was with a group of people who are passionate and had the time and the money and the space and the support to make it look good then it would be a delight and it would fit in a movie time I think which would be good you could do it in a a reasonable film length of time with Afterlift yeah yeah but uh, you know as you said Newburn you know, it's basically just, it's built for, like, film noir. So it's like, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. So that would, I think it would be good. I think you just need the right people on it. Totally, totally. Yeah, and it's like, it's been so long since we've had Columbo. It would be nice to have a Columbo with grit. That's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they say that's what Poker Face is. I haven't had a chance to watch it yet. Oh, yeah, I got to check Ryan Johnson's out. new show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got to check it out. So I saw a tweet over this weekend that you put out that I Uh thought was pretty interesting and basically you were just thrown out there you were asking people who's your favorite sexy villain Mm -hmm. and uh, the discourse between you and Kalman Androsovsky was interesting where he was basically brought up the trope of sexy being coded as evil and it's like he made the, the joke of like why can't we have a sexy hero with like an unsexy villain isn't that just real life? But you brought up an interesting point that I, I you know, I think that some people sometimes forget. Because, yes, there is the prudishness of some people seeing sex as bad. But the idea of temptation that you threw yeah. out there that was so interesting about the idea of the hero, you know, trying to do what's right. But the villain is tempting him to be like, just do what feels good. Yes. If you're going to have an interesting relationship between, like, an iconic hero and iconic villain, then it's going to work best if they reflect something about each other in an important way, right? And so maybe they can just be opposites, but I think that they should say something about each other. And I think that if a villain is sexy or is sensual or is tempting in some way, then that just gives you... Uh, really interesting conflict for the hero to have because if it's just a case of like I'm a good guy you're a bad guy that gets boring after a little while but you want to see as I was talking about earlier this conflict of their ideologies and if there's something about the villain that makes us feel oh maybe they're right like people talk a lot about Michael B. Jordan in Black the first Black Panther movie right there's something about that that makes the audience feel tempted to agree with him and you could argue that they had to make him evil in a silly way for him to be the bad guy in that particular film. But I think a villain is more compelling if we can at least understand where they're coming from. We can understand why they feel the way that they feel and think the way that they think. And that makes them compelling and that makes them more dangerous. Because if it's someone who just wants to twirl their mustache and be evil for no reason, then it's not that interesting to watch them fight unless you just want to watch people get beat up, I guess. But if we sadly, there is an audience that does just want that. Yeah. And there's, and there's, uh, you know, you get your John wicks for that, which is a great version of, we don't need to know anything about these people, but they have cool weapons and we want to watch them fight. And that's fine. 
But in terms of the kinds of stories we were talking about and what makes a villain compelling, I think you have to kind of want, a part of the audience and the hero has to want them to succeed or want to see what would come from their, their plans. Uh, because if not, then they're, there's nothing compelling about them. There's nothing to make us relate for or feel any friction around them. So I think that sex or sex appeal is one tool in the arsenal to make us feel attracted to and feel complicit with the villain in a way that um, adds some interesting friction with viewing. That reminds me of a Scott Thompson line from Kids in the Hall. I, I think it was Buddy said, Satan is sexy, evil feels good. Yes, yeah. I think that's true. And again, I think a lot of our like North American storytelling is based on really uh, Judeo, well, Christian-based um, prudishness. And so I think we do, I think even as much as our ideals might be different now, we still have this basis that we're building on unfortunately, that is very sex negative. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, again, because it's like everything follows over time and like some of the most held up uh, pieces of literature in our curriculums are do have that Judeo-Christian yeah. kind of mentality within their works. Yeah, totally. Yep. I want to thank you for talking with us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great talking with you. Love the work you're doing. Love the creators you're working with. Can't wait to see more. Really looking forward to Dead Romans. And of yeah. course, as I mentioned yesterday to you really looking forward for the next uh, season of new burn yeah wink wink that might be coming sometime soon keep an eye out <laughs> there you go have a great day thank Bye. you so much so that was our conversation with allison o'toole of course you can find her at uh, allisonotool.com and uh, find out about all the great books she's working on we come to the end of this episode patula where can the good folks find you at intiff.com on Twitter, Hive, TikTok, Instagram, at Obesa Kantawit, O-B-E-S-A-C-A-N-T-A-V-I-T, and here with you. You, got, you ran out of steam there at the end. All right. <laughs> I'm still a little breathless from the con floor. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say so. I'd say so. Oh, man. Well, you can find everything I do over at geekardshow.com. Follow me on Twitter at geekard. Follow this very show on Facebook at Back to Bloodbath. We post a new episode every week. But if you want to make sure you don't miss an episode, you might as well subscribe to us on your podcasting platform of choice. And while you're there, leave a five-star rating and review. I'm not telling you to do this. I'm asking you. Because I, well, because I care about you and about me and about us. This Mostly is a me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is a relationship. Talking, listening. We talk, you listen, and we hope you get to hear us as much as possible. This has been Back East Your Blood, Beth. I've been Andrew Young. I've been Petunia. Have yourself a good. <laughs>